Thank you for joining me, your host, independent journalist, Travis William skank for this special interview with occult researcher and author, William Ramsey. Um, for the podcast, interviews are not something I'm going to be consistently sort of chasing down. That was the first iteration of the ZoomCron podcast. It was more interview-focused, but this go-around, the week in review is the, the primary focus, and that posts every Sunday at 8 a.m. with my co-host, Ali. You can listen to us reviewing the local headlines of the week. That's right. Ali joined me also for this interview with William Ramsey, and this is the first time we have combined our powers on the CC writer front. That's the conspiracist and the Christian combination that both of us bring to the table in our collaborative interview with Mr. William Ramsey. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Um, if you're interested in getting in touch with me, you can reach me at willskink at yahoo.com. That's W-I-L-L-S-K-I-N-K at yahoo.com. And all the articles posted Monday through Friday at 7 a.m. can be found at zoomcron.com. And that is Z-O-O-M-C-H-R-O-N. Thank you so much and enjoy this interview. Okay. This is a episode of Zoomcron Week in Review. It's a special report, um, and it's a simulcast being simultaneously recorded with our host, our guest, um, William Ramsey, a cult investigator, someone I've really been looking forward to talking to. Um, trying not to be a little nervous right now since I haven't done an interview for a while, but uh, Mr. Ramsey, um, Ali and I are really excited to be here in this conversation with you today. Um, it's February 22nd. 2023. Um, a lot of the things that you have been looking into and researching for many years in books like Global Death Cult, which you are, it sounds like trying to raise some funds to make a documentary about, um, and books like Children of the Beast. Um, these books are just absolutely fascinating. Your podcast, uh, William Ramsey Investigates, um, keeps on getting more and more viewers as people are becoming keen to the idea that um, there are occult satanic groups operating within America, um, and they can have actually very specific ideologies, um, very specific practices, and it takes, I think, a lot of different approaches. Um, I come at it from a sort of former progressive person that was interested in the counterculture. You know, I got turned on to Jim Morrison and engaged in predictive, rebellious behavior back in the, um, you know, the 90s. And, and so I, I am interested in what drug use has done to the minds of folks back during the counterculture and then the drug use and drug abuse today. I spent time working at a homeless shelter. And uh, I don't know if Ali wants to maybe talk a little bit about her background real quick um, about some of the interests that you bring to this real, real quick. Real quick, I am a Christian, have a background in politics on some level and I'm very interested in some of your work. I'm more recent to reading and and coming familiar with some of your work, Mr. Ramsey, and I appreciate uh, what you've done and the perspective that you bring. Great, thanks. Thanks for having me. It's good to be with you. So one of the things I wanted to um, just ask quickly, if you could introduce yourself to our, our kind of small local audience, um, and some of the, the time you've spent in DC, you know, you had a little bit of a political connection working, I, I believe with the Congressman, um, and then how you got in, how you got to start with looking into some of these specific occult topics like Aleister Crowley. Good question. I mean, I was kind of, uh, just went through the conventional route of being educated in the United States. I went to college, then went to law school, 
I wasn't, I'm from, was born in Nebraska. I don't have those kind oh. of uh, connections to some kind of masonry or anything like that. I'm not initiated in any way. So I was very naive about a lot of that stuff. I was seeing things in the common culture. And you always kind of maybe like um, get a sense that there's some kind of spectral disturbance in the psychosphere, so to speak. So like, and then it became more real. I went to DC. I saw things there. I saw, you know, Albert Pike statue, the house of the temple, which is really an incredible kind of ziggurat yeah. uh, north of uh, the White House. Clearly, somebody's spent time and money to put that together. You almost never see that on the news, which is also kind of shocking, actually, in a way, because it's never, nobody really uh, has ever done any investigation into it. So those are just kind of examples. I worked, um, my wife worked for a congressman, so I was around the congressional uh, House of Representatives That's building over a lot. I, I went to the inauguration of Hillary and Bill. I was very naive. I was younger, so it was a learning experience. I kind of see it from the inside, the, the hypersensitivity and paranoia of Washington and the real power politics that I just had no clue about. I really just believed everything I read in the news that John F. Kennedy was killed by Robert, uh, Oswald and all this stuff. And then you kind of get there and you get a sense of like, overlapping intelligence agencies people getting information blackmail and i worked briefly on the case of vince foster who was uh yes supposedly went out to a park in fort marcy and killed himself it's total nonsense he was murdered and dumped in the park yeah and i worked for a guy by the name of john clark who's still around uh, the guy who i knew and sat down with you know as i'm like 25 54 now um was uh, nolton patrick nolton you can look up all this stuff it's kind mm -hmm. of like an underground truth and it was actually uh clark was successful in getting an addendum to uh the uh the member the the study that went into the death of vince foster it was called not the clark report it was called uh can't remember the lawyer's name right now but uh really it went to the to the district court there it went into mm -hmm. that so anyway i was the one who kind of delivered that so i was just a real dumb dumb idiot for a provincial from the sticks but i slowly kind of got smarter and smarter realized that i there was a hidden history that was real that there really was a hidden history to the united states and i started researching reading that got away from the corporate media um and asked a lot of questions a lot of truth here is politicized so you get the party truth whether it's the right or the left and i just wanted to know what the really stuff that happened so i was always kind of very uh, attuned to alternate media that was coming up at the internet in the 90s uh the star report that's the guy's name is kenneth star who passed away oh yeah 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 ken star of course so the, you can look this up just the clark addendum to the star report um so i was very attuned i remember reading in the 90s a couple websites were, were that i followed were uh antiwar.com and he was kind of like an anti a big state type person his name was justin Romando. he passed away and then also I followed, and I've been following for almost a quarter century. It's very strange. Did you ever? Were like, you ever in, into rigorous intuition? The website yeah, run by yeah, Jeff very Wells. Much. I have that book. Yeah, Jeff Wells. Yep. Yep. So I was very much. Uh, that was a very active message board, right? So and people were just putting all kinds of alternate. I was very much a voracious reader of that, and actually, there were my references back even back in the day. That's a guy I tied into. In this global death cult um, book, Jason people... Horsley. Jason Horsley got his start sort of um, in those message boards. I re I, I was turned on to rigorous intuition many years ago by a, a friend I met here in college, and so that's kind of part of my introduction too to some of this material was those kind of forums. 
I still follow Jeff Wells. I follow him on Twitter. So yeah. uh, that's just another thing. And those forums were really good because they were kind of higher level discussions. It wasn't kind of like, you know, people kind of infotainment. People were actually putting information with references and people were really doing kind of serious, you know, not super serious, but more research types were on there with different threads and yeah. validating things. And it was harder to do really through the corporate media, the media environment before, right? It's all top down. So rigorous intuition was definitely one of those. And it had rigorous intuition had that kind of sinister underbelly. Like there's a, a darker story and that was kind of the stuff. And what I found, I think it's that that darker story is really closer to the truth uh, in most events really is that. Well, what was the name of that not couple? The, not the political event. Yeah. Pardon, pardon for interrupting. Did you remember the name of that couple that ended up committing suicide that, um, it was really a hot topic for a while. I think they had some connections to Beck. Um, they were sort of a, a popular California couple. The, their names are escaping me, but um, it, it, what were that, they? What, what were they known for? I mean, were they involved in certain research or something? Oh man, this will this will drive me crazy. I'll have to maybe check check on my phone and see if I can find that. But um, there was a sinister aspect to that, and that's that's something that I really want to kind of look in and segue a bit into because how as a Christian now do you do you take uh, that exposure and start having conversations with Christian congregations, because as Ali and I have been having our conversations, um, you know, and I've been looking at the level of sophistication as locally, we're talking to different people in churches. You know, I had to start reaching out to churches locally when there was a little pandemic that started happening. And I had to find allies um, that were going to help support me in the decisions I was making, you know, for my kids. And so, you know, the arts community locally, they were, they were, their empathy was weaponized against me. I, I wasn't going to find allies there, but as I started taking my understanding of the occults, um, and, and the, especially like with QAnon sucking so many people in, I mean, you were able to kind of avoid some of the, the QAnon traps, were, were you not? And, and still see that there was some value in some so. of those drops early on? I never saw any value. I would read the QAnon drops, but I never really saw any value. I found yeah, okay. them to be kind yeah. of like dangling carrots yeah. other than, I mean, intentionally vague. Like when somebody hits you with all kind of vague, it's almost like some kind of weird cult gobbledygook, you know, consciousness or I don't know. So, but there's a lot of stuff to unpack what you said, like going to the church, talking to some of these themes. Uh, may not be the greatest environment. I, I think that's kind of the modern pulpit really is kind of this uh, very saccharine, milk toast, half quarter gospel. They don't really miss a lot. They don't talk about stuff. And they actually have been, they had the benefit of growing up in a Catholic church. I went to Catholic school and then I just kind of read the Bible. So I, I just went, "What? where's the Pope? These priests are committing all this stuff the Lord Jesus Christ is railing against. You're doing the same thing. You don't work. You live off the money of, uh, you know, old ladies and uh, stuff like that. Like that, and the Catholic crime. The Protestants are actually pretty close to on par with some of the abuse that happens in the Catholic Church. And there's a lot of religious abuse, in my opinion, in the Catholic Church. Yeah. So I've, I've been very fortunate to see both sides. So a lot of the people who are in the Christian leadership avoid certain topics, I think, because they're afraid of getting the finger pointed at them. So, and it's a good career. You know, you got a nonprofit. Some of these people have houses. Uh, they work, don't work. Uh, they're not in the salt mine, so to speak. They can read it from the Bible. So anyway, yeah. uh, the, telling the truth in that environment and some of these disturbing things might be, it's not the right environment, the pulpit. Sure. And I think that's a kind of a sad truth because it's something that's happened where the external world has gone darker 
but the the public church is not caught up to that. So maybe the church is stuck in the 50s or 60s where they think that their government actually represents them. I mean, I yeah. think the whole government's totally weaponized at this point against the people of the United States. Yeah. Did you and infiltrated. Like That's a whole nother story. But yeah, so it's uh, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, really, it's the rise of occultism. I mean, you can throw Jim Morrison. And I think you have a copy of my book, Children of the Beast. That exercise was really to affirm. I mean, well, I write books for other people, but I write it for myself, too. So what's really happening like i have 800 footnotes in that book i was exhausted when i was done but i think it shows that those are all legit references you can go back and somebody can build off that whether they're looking at jimmy page or jim morrison and see like these guys are they have a cult influence these are not christians they're not uh moonies or Hare krishnas they're a lot of them have an affinity for new age occult spiritualism so now, before I let Ali kind of get into it with maybe some some perspective from some of the people I've been turned on to from the Christian perspective, I just want to say that footnotes, I appreciate it, but then I start buying too many books based on those <laughs> because I, I love having hard copies of books. But um, Ali, why don't you um, well, that's talk It's important, about... you know, just to interrupt, it's very yeah. important because they just had this Roald Dahl scandal. They went through and re-edited all his books. Oh, I know. Without first telling the year. public through electric. So you can yeah. probably see that. And that's happened in... Uh, it's a lot of media articles and stuff like that. They've gone back and changed them and gotten yeah. caught. So you got to really yeah. watch out. It's full on George Orwell. Absolutely. <clears throat> so before I get into uh, Graham Cook, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Graham Cook, um, but I, I wanted to mention something on that. But in your experience with religion and Christianity in particular, to what degree do you believe the church is awakened to the reality of a spiritual battle it seems like they're getting more and more awake uh but i mean I've, i think that you're in like really true spiritual good versus evil warfare right now so like we're at, like this whole uh biomedical state is totally evil they're trying to literally kill children so it's it's i mean if you're paying attention it's it's obvious these people are totally demonic and evil in washington so whether the church grows up and adapts to that, that tells you a lot about the Christian leaders, really. Yeah. I mean, I, I've had other I've had other interviews recently where I go, how can you escape damnation? Literally. I mean, it's kind of like these people who probably at um, in Jerusalem 2000 years ago, they were so-called represent representatives of, you know, the temple and they were priests. And there was an incredible history of priesthood going back to Moses and the Old Testament and. It's like, how are you going to adapt to these things? A lot of them were involved in corruption and selling things. And that's why Christ got out the the whip and whipped them all because it, it went sour. So how, what are these people today? Are they really involved? I mean, you can go look, what's the guy? I mean, it's not funny. The guy out of Texas, what's his name? He has like 10 Ferraris and makes $45 million a year. Are you really in it for uh, the truth? I mean, uh, I can't, I know his face. He has the total like um slick back here well it's, in, it's, inter it's interesting yeah. because you know um graham cook is someone that ali's turned me mm -hmm. on to russ deisder um I can't, i'm not yeah. sure if that's how you pronounce Dizdar. his name but he's since passed away but he was an amazing person in terms of bringing the conversation about satanic ritual abuse sort of further out into the public um are, who yeah, are i've some signed of copies leaders? of his books i've signed copies of his books and he was probably one of the people murdered by these killed kill protocols yeah, that's that's absolutely right so it was rob skiba rob skiba was murdered by them too he's another 
who are some of the, the light bringers that you see out there bringing some of the, the positivity to, to this? Are, are there folks that you gravitate towards that are helping you balance things in, in your own approach to this dark, dark? Well, I just, I mean, yeah, I just listen to the Bible. I have audio books of the Bible. Uh, so I, that's really the light bringer. The truth is going back to that. So I don't know in the physical, you know, I talk to a lot of different Christians and things like that. So yeah, a lot of people have those are on the same kind of playing field as I am. Maybe they know more about something or less, but a lot of us, the people who are like the hardcore grinder researchers, they know something really bad's happening. I mean, we're really at the precipice of World War III right now. And uh, you have Pretty two crazy. total idiots running the United States, two totally deranged. These are not John F. Kennedy who's trying to go and end around and, and solve things and wind things down and solve the missile crisis. These are two stupid idiots in control <laughs> you know, of nukes. Well, we are you in Montana. We're like out here literally be crying. Yeah, crying. Yeah, we're, we're out here where the Chinese um, balloons are flying. Uh, Haver, I know a lot of people that live in Haver. And so Haver was the the airspace that was um, secured. I actually haven't reached reached out yet, but I want to talk to some folks from Haver to see what's going on. There are still people um, reporting, seeing weird things in the skies in Billings. There was a local article I just put out on uh, Twitter uh, about that. Um, you know, but in what way do we start letting fear if we're if we're giving too much um, credit to some of these narrative elements that we just accept? I mean, for for me, um, narrative control is something I'm really interested in. The local cases that Ali and I are working on, you would think in a liberal community, you know, the death of black men in Missoula, Montana, would be something that would um, you know really worry people. Um, the potential. The questionable accidental death of a of a woman by the name of Rebecca Barsati, you would think that um, the the non investigation of her abusive husband, you know, would be an issue in a in a community. But we just we are running into these issues of local media really being in line with law enforcement. Um, I know you spent some time, you know, working with Ed Opperman and kind of got an, a start from the podcast or into the podcast world from from Ed. And I've talked to Ed and interviewed him. And, um, you know, what do you see in terms of narrative control and trying to break through and more into into mainstream? You know, now we have the Adam Waffen case. Uh, we've also had a lot of um, pop culture awareness for people like the the Houston incident with um clearly satanic imagery with the Travis Scott concert. You've got the Grammys. Right. The Grammys are really bringing a lot more attention now, you know, but is it, is it, are we responding to this sort of fake sense of Satanism that's being actually um, developed like in order to be brought down by maybe the secret Luciferians in the background, that are going to come out and try and pretend like they're the the good guys. I mean, what, what, what might be going on with some of this stuff? I know I asked a little bit. It's a good question. But... I don't know. I think there's a, what my understanding is there's just different levels of sophistication just like in the christian church you have kind of like the cartoonish caricatures you have people who are very uh, solidly biblically based so probably in the luciferian it's just a whole mix so but breaking into the mainstream media for me it's just you want it to die and wither on the vine i, I think that ignoring it is the best thing and because then no, nobody will want to advertise on it and if so i don't even really comment on uh, uh, current corporate media because it's trash so i don't give them that even that mind space or to even think about it so i just kind of keep going so that's my approach um letting it die on the vine is the best that most of the people i don't know really i can't even think of anything of maybe well, Carlson, so, i don't know it's worth watching let me specify let me specify then um and and just specify with local media because one of the interesting things, as I listen to podcasters, this is, the, I'm going to try and um, not get too... How, well, sound. I'll break into you. How local is your local media? 
How local um, do I you mean, think lo- your local media is? We, we have those like local affiliates of the corporations, right? right? But right, we right. also have um, something called the Missoula Current, which is run by, started by an individual um, named Martin Kidston. He was working for the Missoulian. The Missoulian is the lead newspaper. Um, so Lee Enterprises is a corporation that, that runs a lot of the newspapers as they further consolidate around the country. Um, Lee Enterprises, actually, there was a guy named John Talbot, who was former CIA back in the 50s that married into Lee Enterprises. And so I'm interested in the local media landscape, and I'm interested in new media and how you break through locally to try and get local resistance going. Because as I listen to podcasters, and I'm going to try and not be too butthurt here, because I've um, I listen to people saying you got to get um, involved locally. You have to, you know, go to city council meetings. And Allie and I are, are going to city council meetings. We're going to committee hearings. We're going to um, the you know case actual court hearings in the criminal justice system. Um, and it, I get a little frustrated because I I see the game being played out there to try and just grow audiences to try and get. Um, as much sort of support as you can monetarily, which you need. I mean, you need money. Um, and and I, I guess I just have this frustration as I try and struggle in this local market to try and stay local because what Ali and I are doing is is a bit unique. You know, I write five articles at my blog, zoomcron.com, um, five articles a week. And then we are reviewing local headlines on Sundays. And we bring this context to the local headlines that no one else is doing because we actually are showing up in person to where things are happening locally. And so um, as as corporate media is consolidating and sort of pulling back on what their on the ground presence is, you know, I guess, do you see the do you see any other local efforts or any other ways in which people can get more involved locally if if some of their churches maybe aren't doing it um you know how do how do you get local resistance going <laughs> i don't know you're asking probably the wrong person i don't i choose not to even go that route yeah i was kind of like my whole approach from the beginning was kind of infiltrate the psychosphere and drop things here and there so i never really could and I've, i mean even as a podcaster i've asked for i mean i'm very low relatively low on the kind of social media uh influencer pecking order whatever so I, I couldn't even kind of break into kind of medium level people uh so for me it was just like doing things like this maybe people who may may not as be as big out there so i've tried to do a lot as many interviews as i can and okay say okay and try to really actually not really i mean I've become more conscientious or more conscious of it now, but building an alternate media, absolutely, of people yes. discussing and making connections. And Because when I put people on my show, then people go, oh, that guy's cool. I like his information. So you're creating this kind of interlocking web of people with similar, who are willing to kind of not uh, suck up to the corporate kind of media narrative. So as Any far more? as local politics, I, yeah. don't, I don't know. I, this is not, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that's something that... I would be very helpful for because well, I don't you, I just don't do that. You stuff. are being very gracious with your time saying yes to to a small scale podcast like us. And so that that is something that's building a network um, and and helping get the word out that, you know, there are some efforts in, in places that might be worth looking at in terms of a model. Um, so, you know, Monica Perez was someone you talked to recently. I love Monica Perez, the propaganda report, her and Binkley helped kind of get me through the pandemic. Um, and Monica has been really keen in on um, recently, she's been talking about Rosa Corey's book, Behind the Green Mask. 
And so one of the ways that that I think um, I know locally, we're trying to to bring some awareness to what's really boring. I mean, you know, we're sitting here talking about the occult. You know, how do you bring transportation infrastructure or you know conversations about that into this conversation? That doesn't necessarily seem like it would connect. You know, but in this boring stuff where there's zoning conversations and how money's being spent locally, you know, there actually is this larger agenda. I'm not sure if you're aware of like Allison McDowell and some of the stuff she's done on the, the, the push for this technocratic um, control system, you know, and so smart cities, the 15 minute city. You know, this is where I think uh, Missoula specifically is this microcosm that I'm interested in letting other people know, hey, as we are um, resisting things locally, these are the larger agendas being served. So 2030, you know, is something that really is an agenda. Um, and you might just think um, something that protects bicycles is innocent and, and well-meaning, but the, I think the road to hell is paved with good intentions in, in a lot of ways. And so, um, well, they're going to tell you everything's great and for your best interest while they build you into an Auschwitz so uh are you aware of some of those? anything yeah are no yeah i mean i followed all they're putting up the 15 minute cities in the uk oxford yep trying to convince people uh, integrating bugs into the food full-on um surveillance state so and they're telling you it's good like xpms in the uk and the us all these people have been infiltrated by the wf you have a lot of people from the us going to switzerland you had uh, the head of the FBI, Ray. You had the head of the CIA. You've got the head who, uh, Zaints, who is now the chief of staff, uh, has been there. So yep. you have a lot of Judases in the United States who are going to sell you out, kill your kids, kill your, kill you. I mean, I think that's the ultimate agenda. You're the, the carbon that they want to get rid of. So the FBI, uh, the FBI, or in a World War Three, people say like <laughs> World War Three is coming. You're already there, baby. You've just the the first uh, battles have already been lost. Well, and so building local networks is is really important and knowing who to count on and who not to count on. And so in the last couple of years, people have been talking about um, your sheriff's office is really, really important, right? Um, making sure that if you're if you're going to be in, unless you have a bunker, you know, maybe people have, <clears throat> excuse me, have their bunkers that they're going to go escape to out in the woods. And I respect folks that have been that prepared. Um I'm not going to be running to a bunker. That might not save them anyway. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think I think have it's, a bunch of weapons. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting to look at um, <laughs> trying to 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 not allow sort of this this dehumanizing to infect us too much, right? So there's the idea of the NPC, the non-player uh, character, and you know I've got three kids, and as as they're in the video game world and they're being groomed, you know they're watching Stranger Things, they're consuming this content. Um, you know, I'm trying to to not be the church lady that gets just relegated to, oh, dad's saying crazy stuff about, you know, Luciferianism again. And because I do talk to them about some of the stuff that I get worried about. Um, but I'm not sure if there was a question there. Um, <laughs> but how That's do we where find... we're at. these people at the top? I mean, Biden's total new world order stooge. Uh, he's oh, he's made speeches about the new world order. So that's kind of a, a Masonic luciferian kind of worldview just like bush senior and junior i loved you know. his red wedding i loved his red wedding speech but um ali has a has a question so i do this is a broader question overall um I, what is the christian response to darkness Ooh, well i think it's you know i i feel like i'm doing what is it ephesians is it 5 11 is that right is it have nothing to do with the unfruitful works of darkness but rather expose them so i think it's important to expose because then people can do it. Like in my job, the fact that I was exposing, and not a lot of people 
either had the inclination or whatever to kind of do the work I was doing. But because it's out there, I've gotten feedback. So just the exposure, there's other people out in the world. Like I found the, I've literally found the others. It's really incredible. It's been very gratifying and uh, I'm glad that I did it because there's other people doing that work. Like, Hey, have you heard this? So people send me stuff. I would never have heard of like Ed Sheeran's bad habits or some of it, something like that. So I think the Christian response is to be a better Christian. That's really the Christian response to be the best Christian. Cause if you are, then you're not part of this political system. Almost all of the people railing against bad politicians, even in the old Testament, they're very similar to kind of like good Christians. They don't like the corruption. They're care, care about kids, old ladies, uh, financial inappropriateness. So I think that really that's kind of like in any real tyrannical system like Nazi Germany or what's happened to the United States as we kind of descend into hellscape is they plowed people's kind of spiritual. They always have to go over the, after the church or actually authentic kind of uh, Christian um uh, honest kind of things even maybe even outside of a christian church even you know maybe it happened in india too but they have to corrupt people and so i think that the corruption that's happened in the states drugs born uh divorce breakdowns um all those things added to really kind of like softening up uh the population for where we're at now because if people were much more virtuous and their public virtues that none of this probably would happen the stolen elections and all the stuff these are obviously stolen elections um biden's totally installed 2022 is a joke so no. that's really it like people are tolerant of getting shafted having their kids future shafted no. which tells you a lot about the the kind of character of the, this is not the greatest generation it tells you a lot about the character of the united states and it's been it's been plowed over Sexual revolution, drugs, Kinseyism. I've done a show on Kinsey. So the grooming has taken place multi generationally. So now that this is supposedly normal, like I tell people, like on these other shows, like they told us when I was a kid, you know, in sixth grade, like we can't let this stuff on TV because next thing you know, there'll be a bunch of, uh, you know, transvestites. And people are like, oh, you guys are, you know, you're panicky. This is not going to happen. It's never going to get that bad. And sure you are. At 2023, you've got transvestites dancing in front of six-year-old kids and and girls going men getting uh, gender reassignment surgery, which is uh, from the pit of hell. Most no. of those people regret it. Even transsexuals regret it. If you talk to the average transsexual, at a certain point, the the level of uh, statistically of suicide is very high. And they really, what they really, a lot of those people are trying to find a solution for kind of like their psychic pain, but they find out it's not a solution. So it's yeah, really Mont a mess. Mont it's a mess. Montana has, money off of Montana has a huge suicide rate. I think Allie had another follow-up question. I did. I just, I love the scripture. I believe it's from Romans that says all creation groans for the manifestation of the sons of God. And the way I see it is darkness is an, an invitation for light. So it's not something to be feared. It's something to be dispelled, right? Because uh, don't, don't curse the darkness, light a candle. And I think the way I'm viewing it right now is we have a world that's extremely hungry uh, for something real, for something authentic. And so from my experience, I believe a lot of people go after the occult because they're looking for a counterfeit. They're not looking for a counterfeit. They're looking for a real thing and they've been duped. And so uh, what I, I love, and I, as I mentioned, Graham Cook earlier is, is someone who I believe like walks in the authority of the spirit 
Um, and we're not afraid of darkness, but we, uh, we love the people who are held captive by it. So just those were just some of my thoughts I was thinking. Well, and I have a quick question for you, Mr. Ramsey. Um, did, <clears throat> did you go through a rebellious stage in youth? What, what was some of the things maybe that, that, because I know I went through the rebellious stage, Jim Morrison called out to me watching the movie Lost Boys. And so, you know, cannabis, some psychedelic use, um, you know, and, and it's interesting because now as cannabis in Montana is legal, psychedelics in some places are being brought in. Um, I know people like Jason Horsley are really against any kind of, of use despite having personal experiences. I hold out a space just because I look at harm reduction. And if there is an ability to get people off of more harmful drugs, you know, but I question my own assumptions in that, in that regard. So uh, were you rebellious at all as a young person, or do you see any kind of um, benefit in some of the things that have, um, that have happened with expanding one's horizons with the use of like, let's say psychedelics? Yeah, I, th I think that was all kind of social engineering. So I don't think the yeah. psychedelics was sold as a way of like spiritual growth, but it turned out to be just a self-serving kind of uh, nonsense promoted by Leary and other people like him. So I don't right. recommend psychedelics at all. I grew up in Northern California. Psychedelics were everywhere. Right. Marijuana was everywhere. Drugs were everywhere. I did not have like I had a my parents got divorced when I was eight. So I was really a latchkey kid. So I absorbed a lot of that stuff. Like I grew up in the AIDS environment or I used yep. to see people dying all the time. So that was out there. But I fortunately never really went long-term down the psychedelic path. Uh, thank God. Yeah. Um, I just, I had a couple experiences and I was like, okay, check that off the list. I mean, I didn't think it was uh, anything, but I really, I mean, I was raised as a Christian. I went to Catholic church. I was confirmed. I went to confession i've seen the pope but i think i really became a christian when i was 17 that was really kind of the thing i mean i think um that was really when i, I was like this i found the pearl of great price that was really it for me so that's yeah. really when i started reading the bible that's the most important thing for me is for people to kind of or for me is to read it myself not for some pastor or priest although they're important pastor is very important but just to like read it and understand it yourself and read through the crossbows yourself. Cause then you see it's, it's in its totality yeah. and it's important to read acts and all the letters of Paul. So I think um, like the rebellious, I mean, I, I don't know, you know, I, I, I don't, I, I wouldn't have put myself that I just think I was grew up in like uh, people who, in a different mind frame, you know, my parents went through the 40s, 50, my parents, both my parents were born in 1940. So they went through the 50s, 60s and 70s. Yeah. So I think that those were just things that those kind of cultural upheavals, like I remember, you know, watching things about Vietnam in the 70s when I was super young, and all the uh, upheavals, cultural upheaval. So, um, but yeah, I'm pretty, I mean, I'm pretty much anti, the worst drug of all is probably alcohol. But yes, uh, you know, yeah. if you can avoid all that stuff, it's good for you. I mean, I've, I drank a lot during through this whole pandemic, so I can't say that I was like some kind of, uh, I mean, I believe that I don't believe any of it now, but uh, it's interesting. Well, and alcohol is something I, I put my, my back to, um, and I really had some interesting things in, you know, spiritual experience that helped me with that. But you mentioned Timothy Leary, and that kind of gets me into something I wanted to ask you about in regards to synchronicity, because um, I'm interested in synchronicity. The Christo or the work of Christopher Knowles is fascinating. Um, so Secret Sun is something I, I check in with. 
Um, I'm really questioning synchronicities in some ways, though, because um, I like Jason Horsley's work when he talks about the second matrix and how we might be creating this sense of meaning that might be beyond what is actually you know helpful, right? Um, so Timothy Leary, it, when he was in the desert in Algeria, part of his experiences were at the same time, like I think it was December 4th was the day um, that Alistair Crowley was having some similar experience in the same area of Algeria. Yeah, it was Busada. Busada was an oasis. Right, right. So, so Timothy Leary has this experience, and and to the day. Also, I'm reading about this in the the Book of Lies. So, a lot of like Peorage, a lot of Adam Parfrey. So, the, a book of all this occult stuff. And I'm reading um, about this experience on December fourth, the exact day that's mentioned. Right, um, synchronicity. I am I'm leery of because. Although in some ways it's really directed, you know, recently in the last couple of years um, because of the death of a, of a young man, um, not young, but uh, the death of a man at the homeless shelter where I used to work, some synchronicities around that um, really has, has led me to trying to figure out locally what's happening. But then I see his father, who is an amazing Christian man, an amazing Christian man. But I see the synchronicities starting to kind of work in ways that I don't know is beneficial. And um, when you start adding maybe drugs into it where you can start messing up your own ability to, to have discernment, you know, Philip K. Dick is someone I really am interested in. His experiences are pretty fascinating. Um, and I, but I see people, especially some young people, that those kind of synchronicities can be destabilizing. Um, I think Nick Hinton is another person that's talked a little bit publicly about um, synchronicities destabilizing his his life in some ways. And so- Yeah, I just talked to him like within the last three or four that, weeks. Yeah. I listened to that and that was a great conversation. So are synchronicities something that you've ever experienced where like a song lyric has popped in while you're having a thought and, and you find meaning in that or- um, do you think Carl Jung in, in determining that or developing this term and, and maybe giving too much credence to these these synchronicities, coincidences? I mean, what's your read on that? Do you have any? I'm not of... a I'm not a synchro mystical. I've studied a lot. There's another guy I was on a video with him. He's like a synchro mystical. I can't remember his name. A say or something like that. Yeah. But I'm familiar with all those things. So my whole worldview is a Christian worldview. So if these things happen or come together, it's meant to be God's trying to show you something. So that's my meaning in my interpretation. So I don't have some kind of like a spiritual worldview where like the cosmos is trying to uh, tell me something. God's trying to tell me something. So I don't, I've had pretty vivid, uh, you know, had pretty vivid dreams and some things very that aren't, aren't just, uh, aren't even consistent with anything in Darwinian evolution happened to me. So I'm not a Darwinist at all. So I would say, I think mysticism are things that come together. Like, like, you know, it's very strange. Like I've had mystical, I mean, strange things that happen that probably, I mean, even working for Ed, like yeah. I loved Ed. I, I like Ed a lot personally. I was great to work with him. Yep. I enjoyed it, but like he was not de deliberately training, but he be being with Ed, all that stuff I learned, all that experience turned into like my podcast. So I learned all the stuff from him talking yeah. to guests, getting people straight, you know, getting frustrated. <laughs> like he had some people that were unbelievable. Like, yeah, Ed would like an interview. Does that mean I need a microphone? Like just like some of these people would drive you crazy. Um, but so that was kind of like one of the things when I wrote my first book, Prophet of Evil, I was writing about Aleister Crowley. And then I turn around and I'm studying for this book right here, Children of the Beast, and I run into the West Memphis Three. So I had already had this pretty respectable 
experience with Crowley and, you know, read original documents. And then I run into the West Memphis three and everybody's saying these guys are innocent. And, but I had already had that kind of um, knowledge base. So when I read the West Memphis three, I'm like, Hey guys, there's a cultism all over this. Crowley's involved. Yeah. Crowley's over and over referenced. And so that was like, somebody would interpret that as like, a mystical like i think it might it could be interpreted as a christian mystical thing but somebody could see that as synchro mysticism interpreted yeah. as <clears throat> but it, i could interpret it as i was prepared for that next step yeah so when i ran into that i mean i tell it on other interviews like i just ran into a very simple video where the prosecutor price is asking Eccles about crowley and i'm like i remember this i watched this documentary in 96 and here i am i just finished a book in 2010 about Crowley, prophet of evil. And then here I'm in 2011 and these guys get out. Like that's a weird time frame. in mm-hmm. that book, I mean, there's still this, uh, there's still, uh, I'm still dealing with like these hardcore Crowley lovers. It's been uh, uh, 10 years. Well, 12 when you start getting into it, I mean, I've, I've listened to plenty of um, Ed's interviews and when you cross the, the Eccles fanboys, um, and you start getting some of these these um, virtual stalkers on your on your case. Absolutely. It can be pretty Absolutely. destabilizing. He's, well, he's virtually stalked me under a fake name, Avid Reader. He put in all these like uh, reviews on my book, like one star. This guy's crazy. badge of honor. Well, so so Eccles well, did something with um, with uh, Eddie Vedder in in Pearl Jam. I've been so absolutely just heartbroken over all of these musical artists I used to look up to, and just having to realize what they are kind of drawing some energy from. I suspect really has bothered me. Um, are, are you familiar with like the Northwest and anything in this region? Um, you know, I, I, I think when I was communicating with you a bit early on. I sent you a link to a, a young man who died in Seattle. He he um, fell allegedly into the pier, um, into Elliot or into Elliott Bay. Um, and one of the things that you've been looking into and bringing attention to is the smiley face killings. I'm really interested in larger patterns of how the occult groups you've been researching might be actually identifying victims and and committing murders. Um, another thing I wanted to mention is sort of the occult groups that are connected to white supremacist groups because we've got some stuff here in Montana. Um, and things we're looking at, you know, people don't realize that some of these pagan occult groups have this weird sort of uh, um, Christian identity connection. Sometimes they've got um, a, a love of Putin and some of like the Alexander Dugan, you know, sort of Dugan, vein yeah. of stuff. Have you uh, like Dark Star Rising by Gary Lackman, some of that stuff. So um, the Northwest and how it, the Northwest as a region might play into some of the occult themes that you research. Uh, do you have any insights into that kind of I stuff? I mean, I I think that Portland's a hotbed of the smiley face killers and occultism and Crowleyism. Yes. Like I just uh, pulled up like a picture of Gabbard with a head guy from the OTO. Like most people would probably just go through the Christians or something, go through their life and say, this is not real. This is not happening. This is not affecting, influencing the culture. The reality of my research is that's not true. The OTO is definitely influencing the culture. Um, at least, no, I mean, at least it's there and the and Thel- Thelema and Thelemites are around. But uh, something specific to like the topography or toponymy or whatever, I really wouldn't know about that. But it is interesting, like uh, if you would have told me the kind of modern neo-Nazi farthest right, racist right, was also there was occultism seeping into that. If you would have told me that five years ago, I would have just been right. Not, and that's like another uh, not a sink, but like some faded thing because I had already done all my research in the the occult. So now when I came across Maya and 
the 09A, it was very easy for me to kind of get the the layout of kind of what he was thinking and and because I was I knew the history, you know, I'd done research Hitler's in that book right there, Children of the Beast. Yeah. So um that is interesting. So all this neo-paganism and I mean as as the church loses its and this is like you know end of days type stuff people walk away from the church which used to be kind of the center of people's existence so it's a shame that the church has kind of lost its uh potency but as that that goes away then these neo-pagan ideas and they cross fertilize each other too so mm-hmm. there are groups and a lot of ideas that you would never hear of in school so these guys are coming across and it goes, I mean, it's really cre- incredible too, because I've come across some of these ideas that have seeped into Ed Sheeran, like I said, or Balenciaga's art um, that really are super esoteric and fringe, like fringe of a fringe. So do you, do you run the risk of, <clears throat> of, of seeing it everywhere? Um, but to, Well, to... the smiley face is everywhere. So yeah. that's a totally esoteric, uh, exoteric and esoteric thing. Like, I mean, some of these people, like on even on the alternate media, uh, people are, yeah, you'd be surprised. Like some people aren't wearing that by mistake. Um, yep. So that was like another thing, like, what is this whole thing? I mean, the, the smiley face really represents some very deep philosophical ideas that go back to ancient Greece, which is about tragedy and being happy through tragedy, experiencing tragedy and embracing it and then moving forward. So but it also represents kind of the smiley face represents the new aeon, this kind of new magical aeon. And so when people, and it's really kind of like a good symbol of testing people, teaching people about the occult, right? So there's a superficial external interpretation, and then the occultists have their own interpretation because the average person, and that's really the power of the occult really is because they have one idea that has encompasses all these ideas. And then they give, the, you know, the proles, the profane, the kind of superficial, shallow kind of meaning. So like people who want to have that smiley face because it's happy, go go look at the like the philosophical background of those people. They're like, you know, they're they're uh, puddled deep to a certain extent. Like, oh, yeah, I like this smiley face. It's like a cartoonish kind of mind frame. So it's a good exemplar of uh, kind of a cult. Like the really higher level. That's one of the other thing about the occult is these like Crowley is not superficial. He's not a dabbler. He went went as about as deep as you could into that. And that's why he's always referenced. That's why he's still referenced today. That's why people are angry about like me exposing a lot of his stuff is because he really was kind of the real encyclopedic aggregator of cult knowledge that people can use as a basis for whatever, all the branches that came out, even the ONA rejects Crowley but they went through the Corley phase to understand him. So, and I think the reason um, the the smiley face killings for people that aren't aware, because we we kind of you know brushed over sort of the the, the broader um, sort of context of what's happening, but um, the smiley face killings have been identified really by a couple of detectives. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, uh, William. One was but... a detective. It's Gannon out of New York City. Okay, and right, then right. The other is a criminologist, Gilbertson. I think he was in. Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Right. And, th- and they started so, seeing a pattern with young men disappearing um, and then showing up often in bodies of water, um, deceased. And and I don't want to necessarily get too much into, into that topic, but because what I what I want to touch on is 
you know, the criminal justice system and true crime is a very interesting genre. Um, but people, unless they've actually seen the inside and they see how um, investigations can be directed one way or another, um, they see maybe how confidential informants can be used off the books. Um, you know, uh, Dave McGowan's book, Program to Kill, got me thinking differently about serial killers and how we've been fed this idea of the lone serial killer. Um, we've had Netflix push um, shows about the FBI. I can't remember the name off the top of my head. Mind but, uh, Hunter. Mind Hunter. Mind, exactly. That was a really interesting show. Um, you've got Dahmer, you know, being being sort of uh, lionized. You've got um, the 80s guy, the, um, the Satanist in, uh, in the West Coast. Um, Ramirez that's been that's been um, sort of treated fictionally. And so uh, my my question, and I might be losing my train of thought here a bit, but um, I guess you were the, talking about the smiley face killings, like what yeah, is and, the, the, and, and face the criminal killings? and the criminal justice system. So um, I guess it might be hard for people to understand that there could be this level of organization happening and that it's not being picked up by more attentive detectives in, in local jurisdictions. But I think some of the things that Ali and I have started seeing um, in terms of how investigations can be directed or, or misdirected, um, there, there really are some things that are happening that I think make your research and make these larger patterns really worth investigating and getting more um, academic sort of uh, maybe academic level interest um, so that it's not just more independent researchers like yourself and small scale podcasters trying to bring context and, and understanding. I mean, I think there's such important things that are happening and the narrative control with mainstream media wants us to think one way about something like a serial killer, but the smiley face killings really shows that there could be this larger network this larger group um operating in ways with this with this actual ethos that um and some of the some of the interviews that you've had recently that i've been listening to where like the victims might be actually watched and sort of tested in some ways before they're deemed a, a, a proper sacrifice i mean there really is a level of inter intricacy that might be going on here um that, that people like you are starting to identify and bring attention to so i just wanted to kind of bring some of those themes with criminal justice issues that we are seeing here locally um and just what a sham i think the criminal justice system has become um i mean it's, it seems like there's a lot of work locally being done on the narrative control and then behind the scenes what's not prosecuted what's not investigated um i mean it's We've Ali and I have talked about the power of things not happening and how that's a really difficult power to identify because it's stuff that's not happening. But um, maybe that's a well. You can do a perfect example is these yep. shots, these toxic shots that they rolled out. People are getting injured and dying, and the DOJ and the FBI haven't done anything. And the Congress, yep. maybe have like five congressmen have looked into it. So it tells you a lot about your current political system, what you're paying taxes for. It's yep. a freaking total joke. So that's one example. The smiley face killers originally, I thought it was a uh, urban myth. So yep. I uh, was, but and then I just started researching. It was another kind of outgrowth from my research. That book you have there, I went through Alan Moore stuff. The smiley faces all over that, and I'd say out in the comic yep. culture. And so then I just started following these cases. I started following Jim Smith, and you can look him up, Smiley Face Cold. He's the best researcher, in my opinion. I think that Gannon and Gilbertson found something, but they, I think maybe they're, I, I think Gilbertson's busy. I think he's a professor, if not emeritus, I'm not sure, but they didn't, they don't disclose a lot of their research. So I tried to do the opposite, which was to aggregate as much stuff as I could. And that went into my first documentary in 2017. Smiley Face right. Killers, who's abducting, torturing, murdering college-age kids in the U.S. UK. Yep. So that was 88 cases that included the uh, some, of, at least if not all of the 14 cases 
that those two covered in case studies and forensic drownings. But my point, my goal was to try to impart the breadth of what's happening that's happening all over the country and in the UK, this, this MO. And the MO, if you're a killer, it works because the cops just think somebody accidentally drowned and they just take it off their books, right? Oh, Joe Blow was drunk, 21. The problem is, is that whole story doesn't really work. Some of these guys aren't drunk. Yeah. They're not drinkers. They're excellent swimmers. They, sh they really should just pop right out of the water. So, and then actually, you can take all 88 of those cases, 100% of those, nobody saw them drowned, which is also telling. So you see these kind of uh, analytical shortcomings with people who've tried to debunk the smiley face killers or anything I've said. They usually call me a conspiracy theorist. When they call me a conspiracy theorist, I know I've won because they don't look at the facts on anything I've said. Because everything I've had is is really actually factually based. But um, there there's just like so many things that are wrong with these cases. And I saw the other thing that's wrong is that a body usually floats three or four days or five days later. It's really pretty standard that they don't disappear. And then some of these people are found three, four weeks later. So the first case that I saw was out of Columbus, Ohio. His name was Joey Labute. And then I just kept following the cases and I was like, okay, done. There's a pattern here. It's obvious that something nefarious is happening late at night. The real problem the police have too is that they can't figure out a motive. Why would somebody want to do that? Um, usually it's very easy, like a, like a serial killer or women is attracted to women. There's a sexual component or even Dahmer uh, is a dude, right? Uh, like men. So there's a sexual component. So why would somebody want to go after these young men who are vulnerable or made vulnerable? And I think that that was kind of one of the problems and still a problem. So they've, uh, the FBI kind of in 2010 put something out and said, there's no validity here, but I don't trust the FBI as far as I can throw them. I don't trust them at all. They show up at your house, be very scared because... Well, so it's totally yeah, politicized. I'm, I'm interested if any of the cases you looked into of those 88 or now I, I heard you mention over 240 cases now that you're kind of yeah, aware of. Maybe 300. I can't. I've yeah. lost count. I really didn't dedicate my life to that the whole story. Uh, you know, I've just kind of I've, I've satisfied my curiosity. It also made proofs that this is happening, but it's still happening currently after um after the you know COVID pandemic stopped, start stopped. It started up again. So there's like been a bunch of cases in Austin, Texas, usually urban areas. Yeah. Austin, Texas, Chicago. Did so, anything yeah, overlap with with David Politis, his work? Because I know he's looking there's at some, national parks, but was yeah, there some, some kind of overlap there in the stuff you were looking there's at? There's a few. He wrote a book about about the killing. You know these types of water deaths, and he oh, included he some of the other cases. Yeah, I forgot the name of it offhand, but. I've talked to him. I don't think he's a serious person. I, I don't respect him. So I think he, I'd asked him a flat out question. Are these being committed by uh, Bigfoot? And he wouldn't respond. Well, so John, uh, I think John D'Souza, a former yeah, FBI. So David Politis just recently interviewed him and they're talking about, you know, interdimensional stuff. And um, but this level of narrative warfare that's happening, you know, we really have to have discernment because some of these some of these narratives, you just have to, you know, kind of look at it and in and, and your gut figure out what you feel about it because we're not going to know the answers to a lot of these bigger mysteries and questions out there. So, um, but I, I think for, for us, keeping things local has been a way to keep things grounded because, you know, we are, are looking at our backyard and seeing what's going on in our backyard. And so that's a little bit more tangible um, than going down the rabbit holes, I think in terms of um, some of these, some of these bigger questions. 
<laughs> I think narrative warfare is very important. We're in like different generation of warfare, fourth and fifth generation. I mean, I think that a lot of, it's really a brilliant way of getting warfare done because you don't have normal tanks and guns and weapons like you had in World War II. You just capture certain institutions or administrative bodies and turn them inside out. It's really, and that's a media. And this is mind that's mind war that goes back to mind war Michael Aquino being the chaplain for the military introducing his sense of what the new warfare is going to be. Um Ellie and I have an affinity for chaplains locally um but we're not going to get into some of those specifics uh but, but um, yeah but that's where we're at so narrative yeah. warfare and lies and you can see people I mean I can identify people in the alternate media who I'm surprised anybody uh, trusts like, I mean, I think he's already passed away, but this guy, David Steele or whatever, to me, he was a complete infiltrator. He's, what do you uh, think? Of, what do you think about the Isaac Cappy situation? Because Isaac Cappy, 2019, um, Tracy Twyman around the same time also passed away. You know, both of those really sent ripples out to the the sort of occult conspiracy research, you know, podcast world. Um, I've read a, a lot on Tracy. Um, you know, the, a lot of that stuff is really concerning to me. And I don't necessarily want to go down that rabbit hole, but. You know, when it comes to planting the idea of fear in us, um, the idea that the maybe AI can can change YouTube videos in real time to mess with us and drive us crazy and send us into sort of some gaslighting, massive gaslighting, absolutely. Yeah, well, they're gaslighting the entire population. Yeah. At what point? Because I've had to question this myself. Um, when I got away from alcohol, I realized, you know, I was in some ways by the the art, quote unquote, I was making. I was co-creating some of this evil stuff by not spiritually policing myself enough. And so I had to kind of get more realistic about what I was doing to to participate in bringing elements of this narrative. Um, if if they're doing the revelation of the method, you know, I'm asking myself, what am I doing to sort of help them by paying too much attention to that? Um, and not maybe balancing out in, in my own life. And um, so I don't know if there's any suggestions you might have or, or any um, ways of approaching as we kind of get maybe close to wrapping this up here, um, because this material is dark. And if you're if you're not, you know, taking a breath of fresh air every now and then, um, as long as you don't live around Ohio, any train derailments, that's a terrible joke. But um, because it's not funny, none of this is funny. But um, I am looking at trying to even bring elements of humor into this to try and lighten some things because I know when I'm talking to people in person, especially I see when I have given them too much information and they're starting to tune out. So I see it in their eyes. They kind of like back off. I don't know if you've had that experience, William, but um, I just don't talk to certain people, you know, yeah. I, I, I mean, there's people in my family. Uh, right. I would talk to them. They think that I'm talking Swahili, literally. They have so, no basis is it a waste of energy to try and find yeah. is it a waste of energy then maybe to try and find different ways of getting through to people um because i know some people have sort of pulled back and said okay we just you know it's it's don't waste your time with people that are in uh in denial or aren't going to be there just like i said earlier it's just like go find the others you know yeah some people keyed in like i had this guy i just put my stuff out i put my uh videos and i had this guy igor sarsky he's like i had a friend of mine that happened to in montreal the same thing he was out at a bar and died i didn't know the friend's story i had no idea so he's yeah. like this. I mean, at least on this, he may disagree with me on Crowley or some other stuff. But he was like, yeah, I do believe this phenomenon. You know, I do believe that this is a sinister phenomenon. And there's a real question why. So, um, you know, Ooh, it's almost artist? like a, you can analogize it to like the Christian faith. Why do these people have faith? Why do they have belief? Why do people not believe? Why are people selected out of the world? Why are they predestined? Why are people Christians and not? 
Yeah. So it's it goes uh, very deep into kind of human psychology and yeah. Like for me, I was stripped of a lot of my uh, trust and honesty and naivety by just being in Washington D.C. because that's how bodies pile up that were never reported in the national media. So I knew the media was a joke and toxic. So yeah. it saved me from a lot of like wasted time. Um, so how to go access other people? I I think that really uh, for me, like Christianity, because it's not, it doesn't really, if you really read it and don't get the kind of expurgated version off of a pulpit, it's not really that positive. Like you're going to suffer. There's the prophets die in Jerusalem. Uh, revelation is bad. Unless, you know, unless God came back, all of wor the world's population would be dead. Uh, it's not that, it's not, uh, it's not like a super, like, you know, uh, traipsing through the daisies type story. It really isn't. And the, the founder of the religion died like he was resurrected but i mean he, he was uh hated by all of the chief priests and uh the elites of uh, israel so i think that that probably allows some of the more uh, people attuned to that to see kind of the darkness in the world and 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 have a response to it like i know a lot of guys who like i've been around for over a decade now they've moved out they've built a farm they've they've just slowly um you know, sp spread ties with the possible upcoming B system because the B system is on its way. If it's yeah. not here right now, they're trying to institute it. So, you uh, you know, uh, some people are going to worship the beast. I'm not going to worship the beast, but it's a real difference of why some people are worshiped. Some why do people become OTO members? Why do they like Crowley? Why do they dislike Crowley? So, I mean, I think that that goes to like uh, the difference between the sheep and the goats, right? It goes back into the biblical stories like god will separate the sheep from the goats so i mean then you can go back and look at like the old testament the brothers fighting against each other all the time whether it's uh, jacob and esau or cain and abel or joseph and his brothers like why did some people go one route and the other why did esau sell his brother out uh for a bottle of, uh, uh, a bowl of porridge sold his birthright out like, I mean, that's those people. I've seen those people in my life. I'm 54. So I've seen that like play out. Like, so there's different personalities. Why they think the way they are. Why are people attuned? Why do people care? I don't, you know, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a much bigger question maybe than I can answer, but I do think it's interesting. Like I, I can, there's people who can finish my sentences. Like when I meet them, it's like, <laughs> Whoa, you know, everything, you know, more yeah. than I do. And then there's other people who's like, Hey, you know, can you stop talking? It's like third quarter of the game. I really just want to finish this game. It's, it's interesting. Another... Yeah, it's interesting for me being in the narrative trenches, especially as I have, you know, kids. My oldest is 14 and is listening to music more and more. And and so I know what I did when I was told. And this is kind of one of the reasons I was asking you about rebellion and, and youth, you know. When I was told not to listen to something, I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to listen to it. And so Tipper Gore back in the day doing her parental advisory sticker, that was just a promotion for me on which CD to go um, clandestinely buy from Best Buy or or um, Camelot. I'll, I'll really date myself there. But, um, you know, so I know that I'm not going to just tell my kids don't do something without kind of giving them more of an explanation about what might be going on that they are opening themselves up to, right? And so yeah, you mentioned Montreal. Um, you know, I'm, I'm an artist. I've uh, continued to see benefit in just processing trauma through art. But at the same time, um, I see what happened with Pizzagate and um, some of the art that's being collected by psychopaths and sociopaths, right? 
Um, and so the, what, what I'm thinking, the, the artist I wanted to mention, cause you mentioned Montreal is Leonard Cohen. Um, how, how clued into you, uh, how clued in are you on Leonard Cohen and some of the claims about him? I'm pretty sure that he was in the kind of MK ultra programs. He was one of the test subjects. So I know that he probably so was traumatized by it. Yeah. So I'm aware of that. Yeah. You're familiar with like Ann diamonds, uh, the woman that, that, that kind of claims that she knew him. Um, she was a fellow poet and she's got some books that she self-published, um, and I, I mentioned that because I think one thing that people can do in their own lives to get a bit more agency is to just look critically at art in, in some ways um, and to think about it. So Leonard Cohen, for example, I was really, I, I loved him, right? I thought he was a great artist, great poet. Um, when I started looking at rigorous intuition and started getting kind of more clued into what um, some of the art that's promoted actually is signaling, I would read Leonard Cohen with new eyes. And they oftentimes, I say they as in terms of these kind of psychopathic, sociopathic people in positions of power, there's a level of boasting um, th that's sort of enjoyed, it seems like. And, and when you start reading the arts uh, or looking critically at some of the art, um, Leonard Cohen's poetry is definitely not the same thing. You know, you've got uh, an artist like William Butler Yeats, the poet that was part of the Golden Dawn. Um, I, you know, people like William Blake, I look differently on. Allen Ginsberg was, you know, Nambla territory. Um, I mean, it's just, it's so, I guess um, for me, it's been just, like I said, heartbreaking because I used to really look up to some of these artists and some of these artistic movements. But now part of what I see that I can do is have more honest conversations with younger people um, and bring a bit more savviness to it because the Presbyterian church, when I was growing up in suburbia, I left it. I wanted to listen to Marilyn Manson and give the big middle finger to, um, well, ultimately my daddy, I've got daddy issues, but, um, I really think that like in my own life, I want to see ways of getting younger people more in tune with how they're being groomed so they can have their own agency. And now, obviously I'm interested in, you know, protecting my kids from evil satanic groups that want to, um, I don't know, consume their adrenal uh, adrenochrome glands, but, um, but practically speaking, I, I really want to use the information in ways that's empowering and can make an impact where I can and, and maybe let go some of the, the areas that I'm not going to have an influence. But um, but William, you've given us a lot of time today, and I really you know appreciate as we're kind of wrapping things up. Um, anything in conclusion that you'd like to promote? I know you're raising funds for your documentary, but um, just anything to kind of wrap things up a bit and yeah let's go to leonard cohen's the future and read the first uh the first few lines give me back my broken night my mirrored room my secret life it's lonely here there's no one left to torture that's like a smiley face killer so yeah. he precursored all that stuff so he puts a lot of stuff he knows a lot so well and and, and, and guy, yeah. one of his songs was used i think it was the second season of true detective and i was telling ali if you want to actually look at um, how to talk about infrastructure in an interesting way. You know, the the train system in California was a narrative element in the True 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 Detective season two. Um, mm -hmm. Part of part of the corruption in California that was a back backdrop to that that whole story was um, the train trying to push the 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 train in, in California. And so um, I think it's just kind of interesting to look at some of these dynamics at play. Um, I really want people to just you know selfishly, I want people locally to think more critically about policies, you know, and, and to see maybe zoning is not being boring, that there actually might be an agenda served um, by some pretty dark forces that that you can actually do something about locally if you become aware of that. So look at the train system in California. You want to talk about a massive boondoggle. They yeah. blew $75 billion on we something talking. that's never going to be created. 
Yeah. Like, where did that money go? Who benefited from all that? There's yeah. all kinds of money being siphoned off from COVID funds and all that. Like, you're in, like, you're in true detective, baby. It's so corrupt. They left $88 billion worth of weaponry in uh, Afghanistan. So that'll ensure just more conflict and war. So all the big fat cats can yep. sell more guns and more defense. Well, here in Missoula, so, uh, Missoula County is the instigator of the Big Sky Passenger Rail Authority. And so that's a, a sort of a governmental type entity that was created by Missoula County. There's 19 counties in Montana that have signed on to this because the amount of federal money of reviving passenger rail in the region is, is tremendous. And I got to tell you this, William, it was hilarious to actually check out um, this Billings um, sort of train convention that our local county commissioner, Dave Strohmeyer, was attending because there was a Ukrainian tra train operator that that zoomed in um, to be a part of this conversation. And I tell you, I, I don't want to judge a book by a cover by its cover, but this Ukrainian guy looked very thuggish. And I'm very familiar with some of the, the sort of neo, not even neo-Nazi, just flat out Nazi elements like the Azov Battalion in Ukraine. And so it was fascinating, to, little little tiny Missoula, you know, here in Montana, um, bringing in some kind of Ukraine guy talking I'm about- I'm sure trains. he's up and up. I'm sure he's not corrupt or there's some kind of ulterior motive. He's just yeah. like, really likes Montana. Yeah. He just threw a dart at a map in the Ukraine <laughs> and said, oh, Montana's it. Well, this, this That's is- the most corrupt country in the world is, is Ukraine. Yep. It's incredible that we're supporting it. Like Putin is actually literally fighting with the Azov Battalion and a bunch of neo-Nazis. It is and That's it who is we're crazy. supporting. That's where your tax money goes. It's very yeah. important to understand that anybody could support that conflict is shows how the power of the narrative and power of propaganda, black propaganda is. Because I think yeah. half the country really thinks that Putin is like uh, the Antichrist. Really, it's your leaders. The leaders in the D.C. are what Putin is saying. They are Luciferians. Yeah. Some of the most evil people. This generation has produced the most evil leaders the United States has ever seen. No question. So anybody who thinks differently, you probably should just go back to like, you know, back to the starting line and start thinking again, because yeah. they've done some of the most wicked, corrupt stuff, stolen elections, poisoning people, shooting babies with all kinds of poison. It's unbelievable. It's Moloch level. And the passivity goes back to like the population of the U.S., the passivity, I mean... You just kind of wonder what these people are doing. They got to all be on like uh, OxyContin or something. Like, what do you well, think? And those 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 larger figures, I think, um, can sort of be you know demoralizing to look at some of the the bigger the bigger figures that can make us feel kind of small. But could be demoralizing, but it could be activating. It should yeah. be activating. Well, so. I think it's an, it's just interesting, especially as we're you know having a conversation on our end from Montana, where Project Bluebeam may or may not be launched now at this point. But um, and of course, you know, David Lynch was born here in Missoula, Montana, um, in January of 1946, and and so it's just kind of interesting as we're looking at. Um, you know, what we're seeing here in our in our backyard and some of the things I think people can do, which is just think more critically about what they're consuming in terms of content and who to support um, right. researchers like you that are really trying to bring awareness to the the sophistication that some of these groups have acquired over the years. And so I really I, I thank you for the work that you're doing um, and may God protect you as you continue um, the calling that um, I don't usually say stuff like that because, you know, I'm, I'm new to sort of the spiritual um, aspects of, of my own life. But um, I really just appreciate you taking the time with us today, uh, William, to, to share your perspective and to, to help us get the word out that there are things people really can do. And listening today might just be that first step in becoming more aware of some of these dynamics. Passive resistance. You don't have to be a part of the problem. You know? Right. That's, I mean, that's how it dies. Like it's the acquiescence. 
if you go back through all the great crimes of like history, it's the people who just went went on with the program. You know, that was yeah. really it. So you don't have to be a part of it. It's absolutely absolutely take a stand. Well, yeah. I will make sure to include all the links um, that that you would like me to. So feel free to send me via email anything that might be relevant. Um, yeah. I mean, all my public. books are available at my website, William Ramsey Investigates. If you want signed copies, you can get them on Amazon. You can just buy them there. Cool. Um, I have five Vimeo videos on all the same subjects. So if you're a visual learner, you can go back through and look at all those. Um, I have a Patreon. So I'm starting to post my, it's kind of my New Year's resolution is to post more stuff on Patreon. I have a yep. Q&A on Friday. So you can ask me anything. People I have tons of research. We can go over Eddie Vedder. We can go over all that stuff. I mean, I really acquired a library of information on the West Memphis three. So we're going to go over yep. that. Um, awesome. And it's important, like cultural events too. And then my podcast is in the top 0.5% in the world right now. Yes, it is. Yes, and it is. You can check it out at William Ramsey Investigates on i2. And I signed a contract with Spotify last year. So, oh, excellent. I'm on there with uh, Joe Rogan, who's, uh, I'm really just a minnow compared to a whale. <laughs> it's important to get the word out and and like i said even though it's not mainstream you've had a a, i think an an incredible amount of penetration into um a couple different spheres and and one of the interesting things i'm i'm looking at is just the overlap with christian culture and the conspiracy culture and finding um areas of collaboration and so you know ali and i kind of do that in our own way locally um and you've kind of helped us i think get inspired to continue doing doing more work to bring attention to some of this stuff so thank you and they do overlap there is a conspiracy in the christian there is a conspiracy (laughs) against the human rights just like the book says just go read the book and it ties into true detective so absolutely like that yeah well thank you so much william i'm going to go ahead and and hit end if you want to just stick around for a second um i thank you so much and uh, i I really appreciate folks tuning in and we're going to be continuing uh doing the work here locally so thank you so much And there you have it, an excellent conversation, if I do say so myself, with occult researcher and author, Mr. William Ramsey. Thank you for tuning in. I'll be bringing interviews here and there as I can get them scheduled, but the main push is Week in Review every Sunday at 8 a.m. That's a look at local headlines. Myself and my co-host, Allie, will be continuing to examine and interpret what is happening here in Missoula, Montana. That's right. Zoom Town. I also like to take any opportunity to pick up a ukulele and just strum some chords. It makes me happy on this cold, blustery February 23rd. That's right. It's in the negatives out there. The rest of the country might be experiencing something called pre-spring, not here in Montana. Don't tell that to the multi-modal zealots. They want you to go out on your bike right now. Thank you for tuning in to Zoom Crown. It's an interview. I brought it just for you. And tune in on Sunday. We're gonna review the week here in Zoom Town because it takes two to understand what might be going down. That's right. So thank you. And make sure you find ways to support me. Support independent journalism. You won't hear what I'm talking about on the Missoulian, or NBC Montana, or KPAX, 
or Missoula Current. Gomer's not gonna tell you this stuff. Nope, nope. He won't tell you about the quarter million dollars being envisioned for transportation infrastructure. I'll tell you about it. And I might even make a song or two. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to an interview with William Ramsey here at Zoomcron.